1: Welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, it's 2021. We're off to the races. I don't want to take up too much of your precious time, but how are you? I'm as good as it gets, <laughs> ready to be on to the new year. Excellent. Excellent. Well, so far, so good. Matt, you know, something that came up, you and I were talking and, you know, we figured let's get technical. I say let's get technical. I'll ask questions and you be technical. Drilling fluid engineers on location are doing mud checks, different types of tests all day, every day. We also do, you know, similar tests in the lab to support operations, but then we get a little more analytical and even on the rig, some of these actually exist. But I think today talking about different tests, different mud checks, you know, things that are are not common, but folks out there need to be aware of. And so I think we run through them, explain what they are, why you do them, and, and, and maybe a little bit of how you do them. That way, if someone comes across, you know, a request, then they can reference the uh, podcast. And if anyone has any more questions then they can ask us or more specifically ask you some more details. So what do you
0: think? I think it's great. You know, my experience, one of the reasons I wanted to do an episode like this is every once in a while, somebody knows enough to ask for one of these tests. And these are, we we may have to do follow-up episodes because these are just a couple of them, but there's not. I've had to do a ton of digging to even find out what some of these tests are or have in the past. And so it's like something I keep in my little archive because nobody really seems to know or, you know, for whatever reason, you know, they've fallen by the wayside and I have plenty of reason to believe why they would fall by the wayside. But all that being said, you can't run a test if you've never heard of it and don't know what it is. So maybe we should start by trying to, you know, explain a few of those things.
1: Excellent. Well, let's get started then. Something that happens on a rig, unfortunately, every once in a while, stuck pipe. Now, there's a test that we can run that applies to stuck pipe. Matt, what's it called? How do we do it? And what's it for? So
0: the differential sticking test, which there's probably a good reason you never heard of this, it's supposed to help measure stuck pipe tendency. My whole thing, or I think the reason it fell by the wayside is it's, it's pretty difficult to benchmark. It's fairly unreliable, but it's something you could run in the field you'd probably be fairly likely, that would be the most likely location. But think of a filter press with some torque plates, basically. So you make a filter cake, you do some fluid loss, you've got some overbalanced pressure, you let these two plates come together and let them sit, like, you know, if pipe was sitting static. And then you try and rotate the plates against one another, up against that filter cake, and you measure the torque and the, the average torque readings relative to period of time. And basically, if it takes a lot of torque, you're more likely to get stuck. If it doesn't take as much torque, then hopefully you're good. And I've been asked a few times in critical wells, people have brought this up. And first of all, the equipment's kind of, it's a a lot of parts. And the problem with lots of parts is things break, especially in the field. Mm -hmm. And a lot of parts that need to be kept clean. There's several gaskets. There's just, you know, that kind of stuff. And then the other part of it is, you know, fluid loss is bad enough in as much as we trend it, but all I know is I've got a tight filter cake against a piece of paper, right? This is now I have a high or low torque reading against a piece of paper or filter cake for that matter. And so you say, okay, well, can I sort of trend that? And if it gets worse, then maybe I need to do something. But I think generally, you know, for the most part, there's, you know, this is an old test. And so I think, Everybody's using t- top drives now. I think that the mud chemicals have gotten better. We're better at running tighter muds, and so the risk has gone down quite a bit. And so I think between the complexity, the uncertainty of what a good number is, and that you know the, this has just sort of faded away because it never really caught on. And it was it was just difficult to adopt in the
1: first place. So makes sense. Okay, well, something to be aware of. Yes. Next one. I may butcher the name. Calcimeter. You got it. Yes.
0: So I, the reason I put calcimeter on the list is this was another one that comes up from time to time. And this is really when you're trying to measure calcium carbonate and in particular mm. trying to, or if you're trying to measure the relationship of calcium carbonate and dolomite. Okay. Obviously with a water-based mud. You could probably do this with an oil. You could do this with a oil-based mud.
1: No, oh, okay. You need a
0: water-wet everything. But okay. well, let's say, you know, you go back to my, my old heyday and reservoir drilling fluids and everybody wanted to know how much calcium carbonate do we have, especially relative to drilled solids, because you wanted acid soluble material you could get rid of. Oh, okay. But it could also be drilled solids you pick up if you're drilling through a carbonate reservoir. This actually originated from soil testing where you wanted to know how much calcium carbonate or dolomite was in your soil. And of course, like all things in the oil field, someone adopted it and started using it and telling everybody else they should use it too. Mm. But what we find is, is basically what you're doing is you're, you're taking your sample in a chamber and you're adding hydrochloric acid and you're trapping the the CO2 that's released and you're measuring the pressure relative to time. So the latest and greatest versions actually have a, you know, computer as opposed to looking at a gauge where you can see that pressure increase and level off. And From there, you can calculate how much CO2 was generated, which by argument, you can basically go back to the chemical reaction and figure out how much calcium carbonate was present. And relative to time, basically, dolomite's going to react later. And because of that, you see like a later pressure increase. And so you can measure all those things, back calculate, and hopefully figure out how much calcium carbonate's present. The knock on this one is... As probably poor of a job as I did describing the exact mechanisms by which this works, it's it's a pretty basic test. Yep. But there's plenty of room for error. This is one you could. I mean, I've heard of people using it. I've never bothered to use it. It's got plenty of error. So do all of the other tests. My main experience was there. There are a few other methods, and you know they're not bad. The acid insoluble solids test can help you determine the amount of calcium carbonate present. And the reason I think that we don't hear this one much is it's not very common that people are really concerned about the exact quantity of calcium carbonate present in their fluid, nor are they exceedingly, you know, concerned about how they're gonna measure it. Right. And so when you, you bring all that together and you have kind of a shaky error-laden test that was, wasn't actually designed for drilling fluids. And <laughs> odds are you might not see this very often but not to say you can't buy a calcimeter test and, you know, a kit and from all the oil field testing companies and give it a rip
1: if you want to. There you go. All right. Next on the list, shearometer tube test. What is that? So this one is actually
0: in all the API recommended practices, both for water-based and oil-based mud. And it's in, it's like the first one in the appendix. And the only time I ever ran this was in mud school ever. Hmm. And it, what it is is it's it's another really basic test and you think some of these are pretty basic because they're very old tests but it is basically a they call it a shear tube but it's a metal tube with its hollow so it's it's just a tube nothing on the ends and you set it on top of your fluid sample and then you've got these little weights they're like square plates that you set on the tube and you see how far in it sinks into the fluid until it stops. Okay. And then you measure how far it went down, basically, uh, the amount. Uh. And I think, it, you know, so the idea is, let's say you had a mud and, and it, I would think this was mainly applied to like really high temperature muds. So you age it in the oven at 350 degrees and some stuff breaks down and does the mud turn to some kind of nasty goo? Does it basically have a, develop excess shear strength after sitting on bottom for a really long time and then how bad does it get so let's say i don't have a great temperature stable mud i you know leave it in the hole i come out of the hole trip out it's been sitting there for a couple of days get back on bottom kick on the pumps and i have this really really thick fluid and i induce losses so i think this was an effort to try and measure the degree to which that might happen i think The reason you don't hear about it anymore is namely because we've got much more temperature stable additives. And this sort of makes sense. If you read the literature right now, you're seeing people say, oh, we've got a polymer that's good to 350 degrees Fahrenheit or 400 degrees. And, you know, especially in the water-based mud realm, but oil-based mud as well. You hear these folks boasting of this new technology that can do this. And then you go look in the literature and you're like, well, 20 years ago, they were drilling wells as hot. What happened? Like, why do I need something now? And some of that is that that chemistry wasn't great. Like you, you could get a basic well down, but the, co- the complexity of the wells we're drilling today demands more yeah. along with we just have better chemistry at our disposal. So I think, I think that maybe the reason this one is not as in vogue that it actually made the API recommended practices and stayed there and then hasn't, you know, dropped off, but no one does it.
1: Hmm. Is it, I mean, are there a lot of API recommended tests that we don't run?
0: No, not really. You know, they're, they're in the appendix. Typically we've talked about a number of the, you know, the PPA, the, you know, know, permeability plugging apparatus. There's other tests where, uh, you know, in the appendix, a lot of them are for reference, like Allen point testing for well-based mud. Yeah. Hygrometer. We've talked about that. We've talked about shale activity. So they're there. And Uh, you know, they're, they're obviously not on a standard mud check. And then there's a few that are in there, not a ton, but there are a few that you're like, I've never actually seen that run. (laughs) I don't know. I can't think of an occasion where I I would want that. Sure. And the shearometer tube is, is one of those, but it's in the API recommended practices, guys. It's, it's worth knowing about. Yeah,
1: exactly. All right. Well, another one on the list here, PHPA concentration. And, And that's one I think that out of all of these is probably the most relevant. Now, maybe not used. I mean, unless you're using a PHPA mud, I mean, the only time I've ran PHPA muds really is, you know, up in Canada and then offshore, I think there was a well, but anyway, that would be something I think is a little more common than the rest, but, but yeah, I'll let you go ahead and describe what it is and how we run it. I'd agree. I mean, I mean, the reason
0: I put this on the list was mainly because yes, it exists. You're probably the most likely of any of these to run this one, but normally when you're running a PHPA mud, if you're pretty solid in water-based mud, like, I don't know other than checking what you've added and sort of knowing, I don't know how much you have to track your depletion. Right. But keep in mind that like any of these shale inhibitors or like, they're, you know, when they absorb onto the clay there or the cuttings, they're going to get lost over the shakers or stick on the formation. So you need to keep adding them into the mud To maintain your inhibition levels as you drill a new hole and so phpa there's there's a few different ways to do this but kind of the latest one basically the idea is that uh, phpa is a long chain polymer and when you expose it to hydrochloric acid one of the reasons that they tell you not to acidize phpa formations is it, it it basically like curls up on itself and forms this kind of like rubbery mass and so if you do that on purpose, what you've done is effectively precipitated the PHPA. So if you do that in your mud sample and then centrifuge it, you should be able to see those precipitated materials and quantitatively get a, you know, a conversion to some, you know, pounds per barrel of excess that you're carrying. Okay. I'm fairly used to when we're running PHPA, you know, PHPA sticks, right. dumping it, you know, tipping some jugs over. I've never been very technical when I've run a PHPA system, you know, you just kind of keep it going and and track your usage. Right. But, and I think, you know, this test is a little bit rough. Well, it gives you a decent idea and you can trend it. You're looking on a You you centrifuge this precipitated material and you're more or less kind of measuring that and assuming there's not enough error that it makes any difference. Mm -hmm. So anyways, I think it's a test. If you, it's worth being aware of it. And, and most of these, I would say you may never run it in your career, but the main thing is to make you a better mud engineer, to know that it exists yeah. and be prepared to explain to somebody either why you wouldn't run it or at the very least, you know, be able to talk to them a little bit about it. And, and that's why I thought it would be helpful to, you know, put a few of these on the list. And, you know, if people have more tests, they think of, I might have to go do some digging and, and offer some up,
1: you know? yeah. Well, and, and I think you're right. I mean, there's there's probably a dozen more that are on there that people will say, "Oh, you missed this, missed that." But I think the point here is that hey, here's some that stood out, and just be aware that you know, and especially in unconventional,s things have become so manufacturer mode that we run the same tests, we run into the same issues, just kind of different variations of it. But you know if the price of oil goes up and we start drilling some more complex wells, these might be things that get resurfaced. So it's being aware of them. And, and, and you know, if, as a mud engineer, maybe only been in the you know, field for X amount of years, this may be stuff that you've never even been exposed to or even heard of. So like you said, Matt, having, uh, being, having the awareness and, and then looking through the, uh, you know, the, the API testing manual, if you still have one, it's important to know. And and definitely, you know, it makes you, Certainly, a little more credible if you are aware of all these. If someone says, "Hey, how do we do this?" and you say, "Oh, in fact, I listen to the flow line. I know exactly what to do." So, but anyway, that was my little plug for us. And uh, Matt, any other closing last words, buddy? You know, I think one thing I would note is just because you've heard of
0: these tests doesn't mean we necessarily need to recommend them, but they're worthy of a conversation. You know, I feel like most of the time when these come up, I spend a lot of time talking the customer out of actually using them, but because they've heard of them like I said, I I hope you have the background that it's not the first time if it ever comes up while you're on the rig or in an office. So
1: that's all I've got. Awesome. For everyone out there, on behalf of Matt and I, we appreciate the support. Hopefully everyone has an awesome 2021. And if you have any questions, hit us up at the Flowline podcast at aesfluids.com, or you can hit us up on LinkedIn if you have any questions, comments, or even, you know, Ideas for shows—we're always, always willing to entertain different uh, suggestions and ideas. So, with that being said, everyone, take care for now. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of the Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.